This past summer, I, I reread one of my favorite books. Um, it's called Lord of the World by Robert Hugh Benson, an English convert to Catholicism. And he wrote it in 1907 or 1908. It's a, his fictional imagining of the reign of the Antichrist in the end of the world, which he imagines taking place at, in early 20th century. Uh, it's not a well-known novel, but both Pope Benedict XVI and Pope Francis have po spoken publicly about it uh, and praised it, uh, calling it prophetic. Now, there are a couple of reasons why I mentioned this book, Lord of the World. First, the, the two times that I've read this book, I've come away thinking about those sober and haunting words of Jesus at the end of our gospel. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? In Benson's novel, which takes place a hundred years after he lived, the church still exists, uh, of course, until the, end, the very end, as Jesus promised the gates of hell would not prevail over his church. But the church has become a small remnant. Throughout the novel, uh, the number of the faithful continues to dwindle. Dwindle because many people abandon the faith for the spirit of the age, and dwindle because of large-scale persecution and martyrdom of believers. The second reason I mentioned Lord of the World, though, uh, requires a little bit more explanation, so bear with me. In our gospel, most of our gospel, like 90% of it, is Jesus teaching about the need to persevere in prayer. That's the point of the parable, right? The, the message is pretty simple and straightforward. If this unjust, wicked judge will render a just decision for this persistent widow, then how much more will God, the just and all-good judge of the universe, vindicate his chosen ones who persistently pray to him? But then, after talking about the need to persevere in prayer, Jesus gives us those haunting words about will the Son of Man fight in faith on earth. You know, he's, after teaching about perseverance in prayer, he gives us this warning about the need to stand fast in faith. Because prayer and faith, they go together. Right? St. Augustine has a great line about this. He says, when faith fails, prayer dies. When we stop praying, faith dies. In order to pray, then, we must have faith and that our faith fail not, we must pray. Faith pours forth from prayer, and the pouring forth of the heart in prayer gives steadfastness to faith. In other words, the life of faith is a battle. The life of prayer is a battle. We must persevere in both. And here's where that book, Lord of the World, comes in. Benson's novel is scary accu accurate in terms of his imaginings of what the future would look like in a hundred years. He accurately predicts mass communication, instant messaging. He predicts interstate highways, air travel. He wrote this book before World War I, and he predicted weapons of mass destruction and that uh, aerial bombardment of military and civilian targets. At the time, mil the best military minds thought of airplanes as toys and nothing more. But where he's really scary accurate is he imagines a world where faith in God has been radically pushed to the peripheries by two things, technological advancement and secular humanism. This idea that humanity is capable of 
morality, and finding ultimate self-fulfillment apart from God. Now, thankfully, we don't live in a carbon copy of his dystopian future, Benson's dystopian future, but we do live in a time to a, uh, where, to a lesser extent, rapidly developing technology and secular humanism have pushed faith in God somewhat to the peripheries. We live in a world where it is simply more difficult to stand fast in faith and persevere in prayer. How does technology make that more difficult? What's wrong with technology? Well, nothing's wrong with technology in and of itself. But John Paul II, he addressed this when he visited Iceland. In a homily, here's what he said. Quote, in a highly developed society such as yours, where everyone has enough to eat, where education and health care are available, it is easy to lose sight of the Creator, from whose loving hands all things come. It is easy to live as if God did not exist. Indeed, there is a powerful attraction to such an attitude, for it might seem that acknowledging God lessens human independence and places limits on human action. But when we forget God, we soon lose sight of the deeper meaning of our existence. We no longer know who we are. You know, in other words, technology, not bad in itself, brings a lot of good things with it. But if we aren't careful, we can begin to fancy ourselves the master, masters of the universe. That we can solve whatever problems we want with the newest gadget and live without reference to God. It's easier to see how secular humanism, that worldview, makes it more difficult to stand fast in prayer and faith. You know, the idea that we're capable of morality and ultimate fulfillment apart from God, that's, frankly, the spirit of the age in which we live. That's the worldview behind so many of the books we read, the shows and movies we watch, the media we consume. And again, we don't need to throw all those things away. We live in the world, but we need to be aware that it has an influence on us, and a subtle one. We need to be aware and careful. All of that is to say, yes, we live in this age where it's more difficult to stand fast in faith, it's more difficult to pray, to persevere in prayer, but we don't need to be afraid because God made us in his providence for this time. God, he who, um, as our responsorial psalm says, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And our readings today, especially our first reading, offers us some encouragement. Our first reading depicts a battle between Israel and the Amalekites. So just so you understand the context of this, um, this is after the Exodus. They've left Egypt. They are not yet in the Promised Land. They are in the Sinai Peninsula, which was... Amalekite territory. The Amalekites, this nomadic people, they didn't like this nation of freed slaves wandering through their land. And as Israel turns toward Mount Sinai, they're intercepted by the Amalekite army. Moses responds by going to his protege, Joshua, and saying, hey, pick out certain men and engage the Amalekites in battle. And Joshua obeys. And in doing so, he shows a heroic degree of faith, of believing and trusting not in himself, nor necessarily in Moses, but in the Lord. And this faith is it's all the more heroic when we consider the circumstances. Israel was a nation of slaves. 
Slaves don't fight in the army. That means the men he picked out, they weren't trained. Maybe they'd been in a fist fight. They'd never been in combat. And they didn't have weapons. I mean, I'm sure they had a few. But they're facing an army that certainly had men who'd been in combat, certainly had weapons and was trained. I mean, the smart bet is not just that Israel will lose this battle, but that the people will be annihilated on the Sinai Peninsula. But that's not what happens. The Lord wins the victory through them. The Lord fights for them. Joshua puts his trust in the Lord, and the Lord responds. However, if that's where the story ends, I could imagine a, a skeptic saying, well, look, maybe Joshua's just a really good soldier, really good strategist, really good at leading, leading men. But we know the victory was due to the extraordinary power of God because of Moses' prayer throughout the battle. As long as Moses kept his hands raised in prayer, uh, the Israel had the better of the fight. And when he grew weary and his hands dropped, the Amalekites had the better of the fight. So Aaron and Hur support his hands in prayer, and uh, Israel wins a victory by the power of God. God chooses to grant the victory to Israel through Moses' intercession, through his prayer. Could God have stopped the Amalekites by himself? Absolutely. He chose to do it through uh, Joshua trusting in him, putting his faith in him. He chose to do it through Moses, through his prayer, through his intercession. Joshua and Moses, they show us that at the core of faith and prayer is trusting in the Lord rather than ourself. And if we can do that, we don't need to be afraid of the difficulties in this life, whether from the culture or from any number of areas. And perhaps no one in history better trusted in the Lord rather than oneself than Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary. She is the one who believed that what was spoken to her by the Lord would be fulfilled, and she is the one who, who treasured and pondered the word of the Lord in the depths of her heart. So if we want to strengthen our faith and strengthen our prayer, if we want to stand fast in faith, stand fast in prayer, we must turn to Our Lady and pray the rosary. The rosary is not a rote prayer meant to be mumbled about with our mind wandering. When we pray the rosary, we are meditating upon the very life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, or we're meditating upon the words of these ancient prayers. Many a hardened sinner has been converted by praying the rosary. Many a lukewarm soul has been turned into a saint by praying the rosary. And if we pray the rosary, she will teach us to stand fast in faith and persevere in prayer. Our responsorial psalm tells us our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That means the God who spoke and created the universe out of nothing is here to help us Stand fast in faith and persevere in prayer. So let us trust in the Lord rather than ourselves. Let us stand fast in faith, persevere in prayer, so that he can make us the saints he created us to be.